Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This week, I am talking again with best-selling author Charles Duhigg, author of The Power of Habit, and he is here to talk about his new book, Smarter, Faster, Better, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business. And he's going to talk about how those two books connect, which is is really awesome in a sense that they kind of go together like a one-two punch of productivity. And what was even more fascinating is the fact that there is a killer app included in this episode that you will find out about that Charles will tell you about. So keep listening for that quote of what he says the killer app is and has always been for that matter. Before we get to that, I want to talk to you about another killer app, FreshBooks. It's a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices and tracking your income and outgoing payments extremely easy. If you're out there doing work for clients and you want to get paid, FreshBooks is the easiest way to do it because you can create your invoices in FreshBooks with the time that you've already tracked that you've worked on the project in FreshBooks, add your own logo and color scheme to your invoices in FreshBooks, know whether or not when you've sent the invoice to them that they've checked it and or seen it and opened it in FreshBooks, send them payment reminders automatically and you don't have to chase them down because you're using FreshBooks. Use the mobile app to track and take pictures of your receipts to organize them for later, which, come on, if you're creating expense reports or claiming expenses at tax time, that's going to be the killer app right there for you. And all along, from start to finish, from doing your work to invoicing for your work, to tracking where you're spending the money that you made off your work, FreshBooks is there to track your incoming and outgoing cash flow, your expenses, your time tracking, the ability to do all this while you're out in mobile or in front of your desktop. You got to try it out. FreshBooks right now is offering a month of unrestricted use to all the Beyond the To-Do List listeners. It's totally free. You don't need a credit card. All you got to do is go to freshbooks.com slash to-do. That's freshbooks.com slash T-O-D-O, and make sure to enter to-do in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash T-O-D-O, and enter to-do, T-O-D-O, in the how did you hear about us section. Thanks again to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Now enjoy this conversation between myself and Charles Duhigg. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show Charles Duhigg. Charles, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So you just came out with a book called Smarter, Faster, Better, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business. And if there was ever a book made for my audience, it's this one. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last time you were on, we were talking about the power of habit. And 
I'm curious what drove you to uh, move from the power of habit to being smarter, faster, and better. It, they're actually kind of related. You know, when, um, when the power of habit came out in, in 2012, I was, uh, yeah, I'm a reporter at the New York Times. And so the same, same year that the power of habit came out, I was working on a series for the Times about working, about Apple and as a lens for looking at the global economy. Um, and, you know, working conditions in the factories that made iPads and iPhones in China and sort of other topics. And in that year was, was professionally fairly satisfying and, and successful for me. I, you know, power of habit did better than I had expected. I found a lot of readers, the, the series that I was working on for the times eventually went on to win the Pulitzer prize. It was, so it was a pretty good year. And I would come home every night during that year and say to my wife, you know, if this is what success feels like, then like sign me back up for failure. Cause like, this is terrible because <laughs> every night I would come home and, and I would have, you know, 150 emails to deal with that evening. And, you know, three or four things that I had meant to get done earlier in the day that I hadn't gotten done that I now needed to take care of. And it was just so kind of overwhelming how much work I needed to do. And, and I felt like the faster and faster I was running, the farther I was falling behind. And, and I wanted to understand why that was true, but also why there were other people who seemed to be so much more on top of things. Other people who you know also only had twenty four four hours in each day, but seemed like they were getting more done with less stress and so I, and so I started reaching out to all these researchers and asking them, what do we know about personal productivity and what they said is you 're exactly right, there are people who are much more productive than everyone else, but the key is it 's not necessarily they 're working more or that they 're making bigger sacrifices it 's that they 've basically trained themselves to think differently in very specific ways. And those different, that different kind of thinking when it comes to setting goals and remaining focused on priorities and understanding how to, how to use teams to maximize your own and the team's effectiveness, that, that that kind of thinking allows us to become more productive, to get more done and get the important things done. And as a result, to ultimately end up being much more successful. So it sounds like you, like me, <laughs> found that you had productivity pain points and decided to make the next thing that you do uh, a tool that while you work on it, you can learn from all these people about how to overcome your productivity shortcomings. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think that in addition, that there was this, this desire to kind of understand Understand how the time that we're living through is changing. You know, we're, mm -hmm. it, it's pretty widely acknowledged that we're living through this economic revolution right now that's as, that will be seen as being as profound as the industrial revolution or the agrarian revolution. And one of the things that's interesting about economic revolutions is that it's not uncommon for people to feel very anxious, even if you're very successful, living through that period. Um, we know this from like diaries from, you know, 100 years ago or 300 years ago. And each economic revolution is essentially a debate over what productivity actually is, right? People basically making different judgments or making different wagers on what is more or less productive. And so I wanted to understand that because it seems like this is part of the story of our time and of our lives is understanding how productivity is changing. And in particular, in the book, I found that there are these eight characteristics that are disproportionately much more important now than they were in the past. Right. One of the chapters, for instance, is about innovation, how you make creativity, the creative process more productive. 
And creativity and innovation is radically more valuable today just as a day-to-day skill than it was, you know, 50 or 100 years ago where you could have, you know, one or two good ideas a decade and you would be pretty <laughs> successful. Today, you really have to come up with pretty good ideas almost on a weekly or monthly basis. And so, and so understanding how your brain functions and what, what allows you to be more or less creative is actually much more important now than it was in the past. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Sounds like in a lot of the book, you're moving forward in training us to think outside the box of what we've traditionally accepted as the true meaning of productivity and to think about it in a different way and even redefine that word. What did you think of, or you know, what was your personal definition of the word productivity before you started the book and how did that change? So I think before I started the book, I think I probably didn't think about the definition as much as I should have. And this is one of the things that we know about the most productive people is that they tend to spend a lot of time thinking about what productivity genuinely means and what success genuinely means, right? This is actually one of the distinguishing characteristics of, of intensely productive people is that, they, is that they've thought more about what productivity actually is. And, and part of that is recognizing that productivity changes from day to day and place to place. So like, a productive Wednesday morning might be one where you drop your kid off at school as early as possible, rush to the office, get through all your emails, start meetings. But a, but a productive Friday might be one where you can walk your child to school and have a conversation with them and do that without being stressed about what's going on at your desk. And so so people who are much clearer on how they define productivity, productivity and success differently and goals differently from day-to-day and situation-to-situation are people who tend to be much more successful because instead of being reactive, they're much more proactive. And this is actually the underlying idea that guides most productivity studies, is that the most productive people, what they tend to have in common across these sort of eight characteristics or even, even more broadly, is that they have what are known as contemplative routines, practices in their life that push themselves to think just like half an inch deeper about what their goals ought to be and what their priorities should be and how they should interact with other people. And just that small amount of additional thought and contemplation, that tends to make people much, much more productive, which is surprising until you look at your own life and realize most of us spend a lot of our time being busy, right? We're, we're reactive, we're replying to emails or we're we're responding to colleagues who've asked for help or we're trying to juggle five things at once. And it tends to crowd out these moments of, of deeper thought. But that's what the productive people do is that they tend to find ways to force deeper thought back into their days and to realize, like, I don't actually have to reply to those emails, right? On average, like in these studies that were done, the most productive people tend to hit delete about seven times more frequently than everyone else. Um, they just respond to far fewer emails and like, but that's a, that's somebody has to have sort of the presence of mind to say, Oh no, no, I can ignore all these emails that are coming in. The, if I, if I don't respond, these people will learn to solve this problem on their own. And, and that's really the thing is that can you find ways to build contemplative practices? These routines that force you to think a little bit more deeply. Can you build those into your life in a way that helps you focus on which goals are really important and to maintain those priorities rather than simply become reactive. 
one of the things that we've kind of moved on uh, in terms of the you know the, the revolutions that you're describing is we've moved way beyond not you know, not just the first level but two or three levels beyond just living in survival mode. Most people that are listening to this can afford to listen to this because they have a device to listen to it and you know they're pretty set as far as their needs go. They they aren't in survival mode. They've got you know, shelter, food, and all of that. And so their subconscious isn't constantly saying, you know, you must do this to survive. We now have this ability to, in other words, passively focus on just doing more than just being alive. But you're saying you have to be more than conscious you ha- or subconscious. You have to be conscious about what you're doing. You have to actively engage. I think that's exactly right. And you had asked about the power of habit and the link. And, and this gets to the power of ha- the link between habits and and this insight on productivity, which is that, <coughs> excuse me, habits are a decision that your brain makes and then essentially stops making but continues acting on. So habits are are very near to subconscious. They they occur essentially without our conscious thought, and they're actually referred to in psychology as automaticity. And and habits are very very useful, and having the right habits is very powerful. And, and people can design their own habits. That's what the power of habit is all about, is understanding how to diagnose and design the right habits in your lifestyle. But productivity is different. It's almost exactly the opposite, which is productivity is about saying there are certain places where I don't want my subconscious to take over. I don't want to just react. Instead, I want to make deliberate choices because those choices will allow me to pursue the goals that are most important or chase innovations that are actually, you know, sort of life-changing for me as opposed to just incremental change or to work with teams where the team rather than a collection of individuals becomes sort of this whole unit. And, and in the book, I, if people are familiar with this, you know, there's an excerpt in the New York Times Magazine about how Google studied teams for years to figure out what the most successful team is. Or in the book, we tell the story of the making of Frozen, or the the um or or and how how Disney creates a, an innovative process or why um, losing focus contributed to the crash of Air France Flight Four Four Seven, but but in each of those cases, what's going on is that somebody is building a habit that forces them to be more deliberate, more conscious, to think a little bit more deeply, and and in that respect, what's what the books together hopefully do is that they teach people. Look, here's the times when you can you can go into the automatic mode. You know, when it comes mm-hmm. to exercise, when it comes to diet, like you don't have to think about that all the time. If you create the right habits, you're going to be happier, and and you're going to your autopilot's going to take you down a great path. But there's sometimes that you don't want autopilot to go on, and you need to build habits to force yourself to think in those situations. And if you do that, you're really much closer to to success. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. 
In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch-your-own-shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety in your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that one of the things that ties that, it's kind of the, the in-between of the, the power of habit and the, or, or as you're putting it here, kind of autopilot and uh, manual, is this idea that you want to try things and then pay attention to what happens so that you can then make decisions about maybe which habits you want to put on autopilot and then maybe which things you need to be on manual and, and which goals you want to set. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and a big distinguishing characteristic of people who are uniquely productive is that they tend to see their choices not in terms of binary outcomes, not in terms of success or failure, but rather they see their choices as experiments. And one of the things about an experiment, as any scientist knows, is that if an experiment performs exactly as you expect, then it's a terrible experiment, right? You, you conduct experiments essentially to see, to see what's going to happen in the face of the unknown, not to simply confirm what you already know. And so as a result, if you start looking at your choices as experiments, then the fact that something is unexpected or that something goes awry or that you can learn from your experience it's much more possible because all of a sudden you start saying, look, I made this choice and I'm conducting an experiment and I'm learning from the data that's being generated by it. And to your point, a big part of that experimentation is what things should I make automatic and what things should I force myself to think about? And it's really only people who experiment with those decisions who are in a position to really yield insights as to what really matters. What kind of insight do you have in terms of what, how do we, you know, how do, how should we approach deciding what experiments to do or how to even set those up? Well, I think it depends um, on 
what you're trying to deal with. But, but one of my favorite examples, for instance, is, you know, like, um, trying to figure out how to write to do lists, right. Or how to, to create priorities. So, so there's actually a huge amount of research on the correct way to write a to do list that, and most people, it turns out, do it wrong. So, so most people, including myself, before I started reporting this book, most people write to-do lists as essentially an external memory aid, right? You, you write down a list of tasks that you want to get done, you know, today or tomorrow, and, and essentially you just write them in the order that they occur to you. And, and sometimes, and about 15% of people will actually write down things that they have already done at the top of their list because it feels so good when you sit down at your desk to cross that thing off the top of the list, right? To feel like you got have a sense of accomplishment right away. But what researchers have found is that that's exactly the wrong way to use a to-do list. That's actually, what they call that is using a to-do list for mood repair as opposed to for productivity, because what a, a to-do list really should be is it should be something that reminds you of your priorities as opposed to simply an external memory aid for tasks. And so the question becomes, how do you, how do you create a to-do list to prompt you and remind you about your priorities? Well, what the research says is that one of the most effective ways is at the top of your to-do list to write one big major goal. They, they refer to this in the literature as a stretch goal. Right? What's the biggest, most important thing I want to get done today and this week and this month? And if you write that at the top of your to-do list, then every time you look at your to-do list, you're essentially being reminded, like, here's my most important goal. And, and if what I'm doing right now does not correspond with my biggest goal, then I need to ask myself, like, why am I doing this thing? If my biggest, most important goal is to, you know, to, to write this memo that's going to sort of change my entire company, and for the last 45 minutes I've been responding to emails, then I need to ask myself, like, why am I do, responding to emails if it doesn't help me write this memo? What else should I be doing that help, would help me write this memo? What's a better use of time right now? And this is an example of how, how these kind of insights can help shape how we behave in a way that allows us to to prompt ourselves to become more productive. Well, and even it even touches on one of the the biggest key factors of that even if we have maybe spent the time doing more manual or deeper thought on what it is we're doing or what it is we need to be doing and we even, you know, know what the next step is or what the uh, you know what? In other words, one of the things we have decided is what we need to do now, what we need to do next, and what we need to do to reach our goals. But we can feel unmotivated by looking at that why goal, that stretch goal, over and over again. It helps with motivation. That's absolutely right. And, and in fact, there's a there's a chapter in the book about motivation, right? Because we know a lot about the neurology of motivation now. And exactly to the point you just raised, the why is incredibly important. One of the things that we know is that is that there's a, a part of our brain um, that's a, a, a subsection of the basal ganglia, that, which is essentially where motivation stems from. And it becomes more active when we feel like we're in control, when we're making a choice as opposed to simply following an order, and when we are able to take that choice and link it up with goals that are important to us or personally meaningful, when we answer that question of why. The power of this is kind of surprising, right? Because it's something that we all know is intuitively true, but it's very easy to lose sight of. Like one researcher I was talking to, he's an oncologist. He said that he, he hated grading students' papers. It was like the most boring activity on earth. And so before he grades students' papers, he would always go through this mantra 
to, to sort of motivate himself, which is he would tell himself, okay, if I grade students' papers, then the university can collect tuition dollars. And if the university collects tuition dollars, then they can pay for my research. And if they can pay for my research, I can cure cancer. And if I can cure cancer, I can save, <laughs> save people's lives. And, and he found that this worked. This got him motivated to start grading students' papers. But what's crazy is, like, this guy has, like, an MD-PhD, right? Like, you wouldn't think that this is the type of person who has to, like, remind himself of why grading students' papers is important. But that why, it's so easy to forget the why. It's so easy to, like, just kind of gloss over it. That if we have these practices that remind us of the why, then that's how we motivate ourselves to do hard things. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, even to to be able to tackle the things that are on our to-do list that have to be done, even though we don't necessarily want to do them, we will then want to do them in, in a sense because they lead us to the accomplishment of the goal. That's exactly right. That's, that's, that's exactly correct. So how, how would you uh, prescribe we start setting up a to-do list or a decision-making system where we know what we need to do on the, the micro level, but then also on the macro level, and we can kind of get to that place where we know what productivity means on a, on a day where we drop our kid off, but then on a different day where we walk them to school? Well, so I think the biggest thing is to, is to sit down and actually think to yourself, like, what is your biggest stretch goal, right? Like, what is the thing, if you could only get one thing done today and one thing done this week and one thing done this month, what would you want it to be? And part of that is about having time in your own life to actually think about those things. And, and, and you have to create that time, right? So one of the things that's really interesting is that when, when they look at time studies of how people use their time now compared to 30 years ago, about 10 to 12% of people's time in general 30 years ago would be categorized as boredom, right? People were standing in lines or they were waiting on phones or they were walking to one place or another. Something was going on where they, they basically were kind of bored and they had time to think about their lives. Today, I mean, think about the last time you were standing on a line and you were bored. Like, that doesn't happen anymore, right? Not for more than like 10 or 15 seconds because as soon as you're standing on a line, you reach in your pocket and you pull out your smartphone and you start checking your emails or surfing the web. And so as a result, we don't have as much time to essentially allow our minds to wander and to think about what are our stretch goals? What actually matters to us? So the first step in figuring out what your stretch goal is is just scheduling some time where you can allow yourself to basically just think, to just kind of be bored and to think about like what, what's most important to me? Like what, what do I honestly want to get done this month? Like at the end of this month, if I get X done, what will make me feel like it was a good month? You know, and there's probably a couple of things. Probably it's like, you know, I, I exercise at least twice a week and I, uh, you know, I, I spent, I spent at least twice a week some like a quality, an hour of quality time with my kids. And I, I got, you know, these three memos done that I think are important or five meetings or whatever it is. Like just having the time to figure out what those things are, that's the first step. That's really, really important. And then we know that, that once you start thinking about that, you'll tend to visualize what you actually hope to get done, which is known within psychology as building mental models. And this is at the core of how people focus their attention is building mental models. 
Because if you can build a mental model, what you're doing is you're training your brain almost subconsciously to determine what what environmental details to pay attention to and which ones to safely ignore. And once you can do that, it's much easier at your office or at home to, to pay attention to the right things and to ignore distractions. But you have to have some time. You have to have practices in your life, whether that means like you're taking a walk on Monday mornings or you're you know, just turning off the TV and like shutting your door on Sunday afternoon or you're taking a long bath on a Wednesday night. You, something that allows you to think about what you actually care about and just to like kind of have some time to be bored so that your mind starts floating and focusing on the things that actually are important to you. So in other words, we, we almost need to stop agitating our brain so much and let it sit and simmer and then we'll, we'll start to discover what it is we, we really want to do and, and have you know, maybe passion for. That's exactly right. How did this play out for you as you were writing the book and you were discovering this research? Obviously, the, the friction there where the rubber meets the road, um, because, again, as we talked when we first started, is the, the pain point of, that instigated the writing of this book. So how did, how did you incorporate these into your life? Any good examples or stories? So, so it's kind of revolutionized a little bit how I spend my time. So every morning now, I, I write a new to-do list, and at the top of it, I put my stretch goal. And that forces me a little bit to like reconsider, like, is my stretch goal the same from day to day? Or did I learn something yesterday that makes me come up with a new stretch goal for today or for this week or for this month? And that's part of my routine is that I now sort of write that list. It only takes like five minutes every morning. But it helps me really think about, like, what do I want to get done today? And when I, I live in Brooklyn and I work in Manhattan, so when I'm taking the subway in, I used to read my iPad or check email or something like that. And, and now what I try and do is I just, for like just 10 minutes, I like close my eyes and I try and visualize my day. So like, what do I want to get done from nine to 10? What do I want to get done before lunch? What's, what's the most important thing that I want to do after lunch? How do I, how do I prioritize and think about like all the, what the potential obstacles that might come up are? And again, you know, there's these sort of eight ideas in the book, these eight things that researchers have found are sort of critical right now to, to increasing productivity. For each of those eight, I try and do something on a daily or every other day basis. Like the way I run team meetings are very different now. We spend the first 10 minutes talking about what's going on in our, our lives and sort of, you know, why we're at this meeting and what our goals and, and aspirations are, because we know that that'll help create psychological safety, which, te- which tends to help a team come together. I think about innovation as a process now, instead of waiting for a brainstorm or a, a great idea to emerge. So it has had some significant impacts on how I behave. But I think the biggest, most important one is that I now indulge these desires or these practices it can seem kind of eccentric, but which I recognize now are what allow me to think more deeply. I used to edit manuscripts when I was on the subway, and I would miss my stop all the time. And, and like, I would kind of beat up on myself because, like, this is, like, the dumbest mistake on earth to make, to, like, miss my subway stop. I've been taking the same subway stop for, like, five years. But now I recognize that, like, missing my subway stop, that's actually, like, a good sign because that means that I'm sort of so engrossed in the manuscript. I'm so much in this flow state that I'm really getting some important editing done. And even just that shift in perspective, instead of beating up on myself for missing a subway stop, instead recognizing it as a sign that I'm doing something 
really at a kind of elite level because I'm so involved in the text and understanding the text. Even that's just kind of a recognition that providing myself with space to think more deeply is the critical component for productivity. And this has been true throughout time. The killer app has always been thinking. The people who are most successful have always been the ones who figure out how to get themselves to think more deeply. And so a lot of what I do now is about letting myself, encouraging myself, forcing myself to think more deeply because that is what is going to allow me to be successful. I think that's a great place to land on this episode. I love that we all just need to take a step back and or maybe block out some time on our calendar where we are uninterrupted and we are not busy, but we allow ourselves to be bored. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Charles, for being here. And uh, everybody, the book is Smarter, Faster, Better, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business, and it's available at all the major booksellers and online. Thanks for being here, Charles. Take care. So did you find it, the quote where Charles Duhigg gives you the key to what the killer app is and has always been? Okay, if you didn't find it, it was thinking. (laughs) Plain and simple, it's thinking. It's taking time to think. It's pausing to think. It's blocking out time to think. It's thinking deeper. It's thinking without distraction. It's it's thinking, guys. And I just love that. that my, My takeaway from that is just, we've got to block out that time. We've got to think. We've got to set aside time to calm our minds, to do the brain dump if we have to, GTD style, get it all out there on a pad, with a pen, or type as much as you need to, whatever, talk it out even. Stand in front of a microphone or your your phone. We've all got microphones built into our mobile phones these days. Just do it. Get rid of those thoughts, get them out, and then think about them, and then design that life and that to-do list. Thinking is the killer app, and it has always been that way. I hope that you will also check out the other killer app of FreshBooks. Again, it is the killer app when it comes to to tracking and making sure you get your incoming cash flow through the process of tracking your time, monitoring your expenses, organizing your expenses on mobile, on the go, and tracking your cash flow on its way out the door, hopefully on the things that you not only need to do, but want to do. FreshBooks is there as that killer app for you. And again, you can get it free for 30 days. Go check it out at freshbooks.com slash to do. Put to do in the how did you hear about us section. There's no credit card required for that trial. You have no excuse. Go check it out. Freshbooks.com slash to do and enter T-O-D-O in that how did you hear about us section. Let FreshBooks know that you tried it out because you like this show. I hope that you take some time this week to try out both those killer apps thinking and fresh books and i hope to see you next time on the next episode of beyond the to-do list i am eric fisher thank you for listening i will see you next episode
Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx.